Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. Derek Carr didn't work with the Raiders, so why exactly will he work with the Saints? Also, what does the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry mean in such a mixed-up baseball season? And Nikola Jokic cannot do this all by himself. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Last year, the New Orleans Saints went 7-10 in the NFC South. Not the strongest division last year or this year, frankly. So going out and signing Derek Carr for pretty big money felt like a move to try and go win the division, a division they feel like they can win right now. That is the Saints' MO. They always feel like they can win the division right now. Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints joins me now. And Ross, we have some early glimpses now at what a New Orleans Saints team led by Derek Carr looks like. Can you give us some insight on the early Derek Carr returns? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, it it well, first of all, as of right now, it looks like a bunch of guys running around in their shorts and short sleeve mm. shirts and and, and sure. underwear. But other than that, uh, it's they have helmets the, the, on. Come on now, helmets. Yeah, they do have helmets on, and they have those weird mushroom caps on now too, because you know that's player that's safety the NFL important. Solution. Yes, uh, <laughs> it depends on how you, it depends on. Well, anyway, um, it does depend on I'm who you ask. With, yes, you're right. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes down to it, with Derek Carr, the New Orleans Saints offense looks like the New Orleans Saints offense, and that was the goal with Derek Carr. Um, you know, look, Derek Carr is not a guy that you bring in and say, okay, we're going to completely revolutionize the way that this team plays offense around Derek Carr. Derek Carr is the type of guy that you bring in and say, okay, here's the system, now run it. And that was what uh, Andy Dalton was enable, unable to do last year. That's what Jameis Winston has been unable to do over the course of the past two years, some of which because of his inability to recognize where pressure is coming from, uh, decision-making issues, and of course, injuries and health and all that. But uh, you know, when it comes to Derek Carr, the thing that's great is that you see the communication you have the pre-snap checks and the pre-snap protection calls back into the hands of the quarterback you're seeing the communication between the quarterback and the wide receivers play in and play out while we were present out there during ota so what you're starting to see now is a new orleans saints offense that looks more like a new orleans saints offense than it has in the past that still wants to attack horizontally but will take its shots vertically when they come about as opposed to that being a big part of their game plan looking for explosive plays in order to move the ball so depending on what kind of metrics you like and what kind of metrics you look at, um, Andy Dalton had better numbers last year than Derek Carr. So you mentioned some of the issues that Andy Dalton had. The numbers do not always capture those issues. But if you look at um, something like EPA per play, Derek Carr was was better on a per play basis. What does is, what is Derek Carr bring aside from some of those maybe um, uh, non-quantifiable characteristics that Andy mm-hmm. Dalton didn't to this offense. Yeah, I think, well, one part of it is is entirely outside of Andy Dalton's control. It's that Andy Dalton was running an offense that was built by that was built for Jameis Winston mm. under quarterback. And you could not have two more differently styled players at the position than Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton outside of maybe if you had like you know, a more mobile quarterback like a Jalen Hurts or a, a Josh Allen and an Andy Dalton. But the 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 differences between Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston are notable. They're obvious, all those things. So when you spent the entire offseason building an offense around one of those, uh, one of those, you know, vehicle, you know, one of those drivers, and then all of a sudden you swap it out and he's got to adjust this mirror, adjust that mirror. He's got to move the seat back. The steering <laughs> wheel's not where it needs to be. Like all yeah. of those kinds of adjustments need to happen. And those don't just happen 
one week, two week, four weeks, 10 weeks, that takes time to build out that offense. And so the Saints were effectively just running that offense with Andy Dalton. This time with Derek Carr, you have an offense that is being built for Derek Carr that ideally, based on Derek Carr's track record, who's only missed two regular season games due to injury throughout his career. That's not including the two games where Josh McDaniels and the Las Vegas Raiders says, said, let's see what Jared Stidham has, right. which we all already knew the answer to. Uh, you have an offense that will be built for Derek Carr, that will be run by Derek Carr. And I think that's one of the big things. And the other piece is, again, recognizing pressure and being calm, being a little bit more calm, being a little bit more sort of held together under pressure. I know that we didn't see that in Las Vegas the last couple of years. Their offensive line has been atrocious. The New Orleans Saints one has been good when healthy, but has not been healthy very often. So that would be a big determining factor. But nonetheless, you have a guy that can see where the pressure is coming from pre-snap in Derek Carr and a guy that struggled to do that in Andy Dalton last year. All right. Derek Carr this year in the NFC is a top what quarterback? In the NFC... I would say top seven, um, and I, I, and that's just because I don't feel like saying top five today, right? I mean, we've seen him in OTAs in this offense, and so I'm not ready to say he's a top five guy in, in the conference. But it is a weak conference of quarterbacks, especially now after the Aaron Rodgers departure to the AFC with the New York Jets. It's a weak quarterback conference all of a sudden. And so the Saints are firmly positioned now to have one of the top half quarterbacks with you know, out of the 16 teams in their division or excuse me in their uh in their conference but the most important piece is that they're in line to have the best quarterback in their division in Derek Carr depending upon how quickly things turn around or how quickly Bryce Young finds his stride with the Carolina Panthers stay up to date all year on the New Orleans Saints by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Saints on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, is the Red Sox rivalry as meaningful as it once was? Before we answer that, Saquon Barkley is not thrilled with the prospects of a long-term deal with the Giants. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA Finals because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to fanduelcom slash locked on to sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to who wins the NBA finals. Game five of the NBA finals has one team favored by a lot. FanDuel has the home nuggets favored by nine over the heat. So don't miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $2,500 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Giants running back Saquon Barkley was recently asked if he was optimistic about the possibility of a long-term deal with New York. After a long pause, Barkley said, I don't know. I don't know. Not exactly a ringing endorsement there. The Giants used the franchise tag on Barkley earlier this year. He did not sign it yet, which keeps him from the facility this spring. New York has a mandatory minicamp on Tuesday and Wednesday, which Barkley can't and won't attend. He reassured that there is still plenty of time left to get a deal done and that he is open to one. Barkley turned down an offer from the Giants earlier in the year that could have been worth up to $14 million a season, according to reports. 
Phoenix Mercury coach Vanessa Nygaard said before Sunday's 85-82 victory at Indiana that the organization will be making adjustments that maybe should have been made before regarding the safety of the team during WNBA travel. A Blaze Media YouTube personality confronted the team at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport on Saturday morning. The provocateur, as the NBA is referring to him, shouted invasive and obscene questions at Phoenix Center Brittany Griner while filming her and her teammates. On the diamond, the Baltimore Orioles did exactly what you needed to do if you want to keep pace with the Tampa Bay Rays, beat up on a bad Kansas City Royals team. Walking through Baltimore after an Orioles victory and an Orioles sweep over the Royals. Connor Newcomb here, host of Locked on Orioles. O's win it 11-3 to complete the sweep of a bad Kansas City team. Get back on track, four wins in a row. And how about this Sunday win? I mean, it was awesome to be in the ballpark for that one. Gunnar Henderson is back. The slump is over. He is mashing the baseball. He is back. Aaron Hicks looks like an awesome pickup. And how about Ryan O'Hearn against his old team? Whatever the Orioles did to fix Ryan O'Hearn, it worked. He's got almost 1,000 OPS on this Orioles team right now. He's got the best stats on the O's if you take away some of the qualifiers. If Ryan Mountcastle is injured, sick, struggling, whatever it is, we could see a platoon between those two guys. But the O's get the sweep, get your brooms out, and I'll recap it all on Monday's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. And in that highly competitive AL East, the Blue Jays got a win over the Twins despite everything going completely opposite of normal. Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. It looked bleak for a while at Rogers Center Sunday afternoon, but the Blue Jays win a thriller 7-6 to salvage at least one game in this weekend series against the Minnesota Twins. Wow, how many games this season has Kevin Gosman kept the Toronto Blue Jays in the game with the offense being anemic? Well, today, complete opposite. How many games would a clutch hit late in the game have made the difference only to have the Blue Jays come up short? Well, today, the complete opposite. Kevin Biggio had one hit in June, two today, and two of the biggest hits of the game. That 0-2 count that he battled, got that base hit, that single to start off the bottom of the fifth. That ended up being a three-run rally that made a 6-1 Minnesota lead 6-4. And then, of course, the three-run bomb on the 2-0 pitch, the game-winning hit in the bottom of the eighth. He was looking fastball on 2-0. He got fastball on 2-0, and he dealt with that fastball on 2-0. Nate Pearson used the strikeout today as a weapon, and somehow Jordan Romano held on for a scary ninth as the Blue Jays finished this homestand at 4-3. Join me tomorrow on Locked on Blue Jays for Monday's episode. Here is another story you need to know. The Red Sox and the Yankees played on Sunday night because... They always play on Sunday night. This one went into extras. The Red Sox get a 3-2 win over their division rivals. It is a crowded AL East, as it always seems to be. And Aaron Judge is on the aisle, which is not great for the Yankees. Currently, Stacey Gatsoulias from Locked on Yankees joins me now. And and Stacey, it's been kind of a strange season for New York. After last year, they're riding high on this team, the Aaron Judge of it all. And now it's sort of like, okay, they're winning games. They're still in okay position, but but just okay. Why? Well, they went into the season with three three fifths of the rotation on the IL, and they're depending on guys like Clark Schmidt and Domingo Herman to do well, which they are lately. Finally, they're stepping up and pitching better than the guys you expect to pitch. Nestor Cortez gets hurt, so it's kind of hard to do things when you don't know who's going to be in the rotation. 
<laughs> but this was not a game on Sunday night. Clark Schmidt came in and, and gave them everything they needed, five and a third, and, and only gives up the one earned run. This was about the bats not providing enough power, which in New York, like that's that should be unthinkable. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing how bad this team is without Aaron Judge. It's like they're he's their crutch, and if he's not there, they just fall apart. It's mm. the oddest thing I've ever seen, and I don't understand because they have capable hitters in that lineup. You have Anthony Rizzo, you have DJ LeMahieu, you have Giancarlo Stanton when he plays, and they just can't do anything. It's it's actually amazing that they're doing as well as they are. They're currently nine games above 500. And if any other team had this many issues, they probably wouldn't be nine games above 500. So it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and they're still, you know, it's early, right? We're, we're just getting into baseball season, really. I mean, it's not even <laughs> mid June here yet, but if you're trying to project forward, this is a Yankee team that, that came into the season feeling like, Hey, we have as good a shot as anyone to be in it at the end. So just taking all of that into account, how has your view of this team changed from the beginning of the season, if at all, understanding that there's a lot of injuries that have been a part of this? Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those people I'm trying to be pragmatic about the whole thing and trying to be optimistic about the whole thing, which is so not my personality. But I've watched baseball for way too long. They have guys coming back. They never had a full team out there this entire time. And I feel like even if they get to maybe 80% of a full team, they'll be a lot better. And as you said, we're, I mean, it's June 12th. It's not, we're still kind of, everyone talks about it's getting late early, but not really. If you've watched baseball long enough, you know that teams can start to go on tears in the beginning of August and pull something off. So I'm not worried about this team. Just hopefully, you know, it feels like, Every time someone comes back from the IL, two more guys go on the IL, and that's kind of a pattern they really need to stop because it's not going to help them at all. And it doesn't help that the AL East is an absolute horror show because right now, if you look at, in terms of just offense in the American League, the top seven teams, all the teams ahead of the New York Yankees, four of them are in their division, the Rangers and the Angels, the only teams not in their division ahead of them in the American League. That makes this all the more difficult because they're going to have to deal with teams like including and especially the Rays, who right now are, I think, the best team in baseball. Yeah, since the beginning of the season, they've been the best team in baseball. And, you know, the surprising Orioles, and then you have the Blue Jays nipping at their heels, and you can never count out the Red Sox. The AL East, as you said, it's a it's actually a nightmare being an AL East fan, I'll tell you that right now, because um, it's crazy. But for other baseball fans, you're going to have a lot of fun watching this division fight for, you know, uh, position in the playoffs. It's going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of the season. Yeah, that, that sound you hear, Stacey, is um, every other baseball fan playing the world's smallest violin for the Yankees not being <laughs> a, a, a dominant favorite in the AL East. <laughs> Stay up to date all year on the New York Yankees by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Yankees on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, the Nuggets aren't going to win the NBA title simply because of Nikola Jokic. We'll explain next. He's a two-time MVP and had an argument for a third straight award. He can do whatever he wants on the basketball floor and no one can stop him. Nikola Jokic, for all his talent, has not gotten Denver to the point of winning a championship all on his own, as our Locked On Nuggets host Matt Moore and Adam Mars point out. You know what I was thinking about last night? I was thinking about a game in January. A game, one of those random games, you go to the arena and you're just like, yep, another night, got a Nuggets game. They faced the Oklahoma City Thunder. Nikola Jokic sat out that game. And the Nuggets got beat. 
And we did a whole show and the comments and Twitter and everything was about like, this team is trash outside of Nikola Jokic. It was like, that was like the whole thing. And I'm, you get to react after games. Like you get to react after games and you don't know. Like, that's the thing is like, you don't know. Like the Celtics thought, Celtics fans thought like, yeah, they'll be ready, but they weren't. You know, and Bucks fans thought like, oh, okay, sure, there's some stuff under the hood, but they'll be fine. But they weren't fine. And so you don't know through the season. But I thought a lot about that in this game when Nikola Jokic picks up his fifth foul on just – I got some gripes of the officiating I want to get to later as a non-fan. Um, he picks up his fifth foul, and Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown take the Nuggets home, along with Jamal Murray making absolutely phenomenal plays as a pure point guard. And this team is talented. This team is good. I just kept thinking of D-line, too. All the Nuggets are good. Like, all the Nuggets are good because they may play after play after play. The finals is four rounds, or, or the playoffs are four rounds. And at some point, somebody's going to force you to do the thing you least want to do or least have proven to be able to do. For Denver... You know, for Milwaukee a few years back, Giannis making free throws, you know, that was it. I remember back in 2013, LeBron didn't want to take any mid-range jumpers. And the Spurs said, fine, we're going to take everything away but mid-range jumpers. And he had ultimately had to start making some to get over the hump and win that series. I love this idea. It happens a lot. For the Nuggets, it was winning without Jokic. What are you going to – can you get over the hump if you have to survive a stretch without him? And that's what game four was. There is this idea – that the Heat figured something out early in this series by making Nikola Jokic a scorer. There are stats out there, their playoff record when Jokic scores 35 or more, when he scores 40 or more, and no, they're not good. And part of that is because the essential Nikola Jokic genius is his ability to create offense for everyone, not just him. He is a one-man offense. He has more in common with Magic Johnson than, say, Shaquille O'Neal in terms of dominating from the center position. And there have been games, even in this NBA Finals, where he has played his normal, complete floor game, but he doesn't have the assist totals to back it up because guys just didn't make shots. He needs his teammates to make shots for the statistics to make sense, but the statistics aren't what win games. If those shots go in, that's when you win games. Yes, Nikola Jokic could score 40 if he needed to, if he wanted to. And if you make him a scorer, he can score as efficiently as anyone in basketball. But that's not what makes this Nuggets team special. It's the Jamal Murray-Nikola Jokic two-man game. It's Michael Porter Jr. spotting up. His ability to create where no one can bother his shot because he's 6'11". It's guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope hitting corner threes and swing-swing threes and kick-out threes. That's part of what makes this Nuggets team so scary. It's not just Jokic. It's not even just Jokic and Murray. It's everyone. It's Gordon cutting off ball that makes... The Jokic pass looks all that more brilliant. You need it all working in harmony. It's beautiful basketball when it works. But that means you need everyone working in concert for that to be the case, for the sounds to come together, for the notes to be in harmony. 
Otherwise, it sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Luckily, because Nikola Jokic is such an adept conductor, it rarely does. And now the Nuggets are on the precipice of history, on the precipice of a title. And finally, without sounding too crass, if something tragic happens on a day when Nick Castellanos is playing baseball, find a home run prop for him and take it. A section of I-95 in Philadelphia collapsed on Sunday morning. Naturally, Castellanos hit a two-run homer to give the Phillies a lead. They would not relinquish to the Dodgers. He is a meme that keeps on giving, and we are all here for it. Luckily, it did not happen when they were playing baseball because presumably it would have been much worse. So we are very thankful that that is not what happened. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, will the Nuggets finish off their championship run? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.